Good day, Fellowship family. I checked the, the weather forecast. We're supposed to get rain tonight. We're supposed to get rain tonight. So, And welcome to the bayou of Kansas. We actually have a navigable river, right, that we built that wall for, and we could go kayaking this afternoon. So, so glad that you're with us. We're continuing a series called Nothing to Lose. What it would look like for us to live, give, serve, and share Christ like there's nothing to lose. And last week, we ended our service just talking about those two principles, that everyone is a minister, and everywhere we're at is a ministry opportunity. And at the end of the message, we called people into just serving around here in fellowship on the weekend. And we, we had you text FBC1 to 41411, And I got the results, and we had 64 people respond to this, and immediately 20 said, I'll serve this next weekend. So 20 of you are serving this weekend. Thank you for doing that. And let's hear it for them. And just in case you missed it, we can still use uh, more people to do this. So if you want to text that now, someone will connect with you uh, over the course of this week, and we can connect you into life-giving ministry around here. Today, though, I want to talk to you about what it would look like to share Christ like there's nothing to lose. When I talk to Christians, this is one of the greatest things that they fear is sharing their faith with people. And Barna, it, the Barna organization, which does uh, surveys and polling, they, they did a bunch of research on this, and they've been doing this over the past several years, like in 1993. Do you remember that? Some of you weren't even born yet, but others of you, they asked this question, they made this statement. It says, every Christian has the responsibility to share their faith. Do you believe that? Do you believe every Christian has the responsibility to share their faith? In 1993, 89% of Christians that were surveyed on this said, yes, I believe this. I believe this personally. That's my responsibility to share this greatest gift ever given to me. Last year, they asked this same very, they made this same very statement to Christians, and here's what they got. 64% said, this is a, a drop of 25% of believers who thought that it's no longer their responsibility. That's why I think you invite people to come here and say, Hishma, you preach to them. You give them the gospel, right? You'd be the big hitter. I don't know. I don't know. But just think about what this means. If you have 100 people who are Christians... Only 64 of them believe that it's their responsibility to share the greatest gift ever given to them. And then they asked another question. How many of you have actually shared with anyone about how to have a relationship with God through Christ over the past six months? How many of you? Only 78% said, I've not done that with anyone. So if you just take that number out of the 64 who say it's their, our, our responsibility, only 14 have shared with anyone the greatest gift ever given to them. Folks, the gospel tends to grow where it's shared. And if we're silent when it comes to the gospel, the gospel tends to just stagnate. And so when we think about this, the gospel can only grow if it's shared. And if you look at the places in the world today where it is being shared, it's growing. It's growing. Africa right now is one of the areas where, where Christianity is growing leaps and bounds because people are sharing Jesus with others. If you look in the U.S., there's a lot of people who are silent with the gospel. 
Another area that's growing, it's just the non-faith community. The atheist community is growing in the U.S. It's just a nun. I don't want to talk about this. I don't believe it. I basically believe in in, um, reason and the self-perspective of how I think the world ought to be. And so there's a resistance here, which means we need to do this well. We need to do this uh, in a loving way, but we still need to be called into this. When you think about just that area of every Christian has the responsibility to share your faith, do you you personally believe that? Because I want to call you into what it could look like, what it could look like if you shared Christ with nothing to lose. And as we do that, let me just address some fears. Because if we approach it from this perspective, that when I share Christ, there's something in me to lose. We're going to be driven by three words. And the first one is a really common way of of viewing this. I fear rejection. That if I shared with people who Jesus is and what he's done in my life, and that I would like to offer what he's done in my life to your life, that they'll go, forget you. You're no longer my friend. The relationship is over. And, And we fear that rejection. Another fear is, this is a probably the primary one is humiliation. In other words, I have a concern for people with the gospel, and I'd love to share the gospel with others, and I'd love to share what Christ has done in my life, but if they ask me a question, how could a loving God allow suffering and pain and loss in this world? How could a God who's in control allow that to happen? I have no answer to that one, and I'd be humiliated, and I'd be called stupid, or mindless. Um, and, and then, if you think of this last one, this is more severe, but it's persecution. And not so much inside of the United States. Are we persecuted, like outwardly arrested or tried on, an, on account of this? Although, in other regions of our world, this is still a very common thing. Perhaps even more number of people are being persecuted today than have ever been in the history of, of Christianity. But here, we're kind of more like pestered, right? If you share that, um, and, and I've heard it when I've shared the gospel and people from a non-faith perspective have pestered me back with questions or how could you be so stupid or how could this, you know, how could you be, believe in something so crazy? This keeps us silent. This keeps us on the sidelines of sharing our faith. Now, ever since the gospel was first preached, there was this. This is kind of the culture of the gospel where the gospel will confront. So, the, the people who advanced it had to see that there was literally nothing to lose in sharing their faith. And the way it advanced, because they really realized that they, they could not eradicate this, they had to focus on something else. So instead of the rejection, personal rejection, they ta- taught about the acceptance of God through Christ. That the gospel message is that you don't have to perform. You don't have to be. None of us can be good enough to earn or deserve the work of Jesus in our lives. But all of us can have it because he's already done that for us. And, and they realized and took greater joy in the acceptance of the few who trusted in Christ over the personal rejection they experienced because of it. 
And instead of humiliation, they actually started this whole word in their lives. And it's the glorification of Christ. They, they weren't people who said, look what I've done for Jesus. Look at how many people I've shared this. They, they were all like, wow, look what God has done through us. Look at how he worked through this horrendous experience of tragedy and made Jesus greater on earth as he is in heaven. And instead of persecution, even in the midst of persecution, they could have joy because they had a different perspective. Even though some of the same things or worse things were happening to them, than to people who were silent with the gospel. You see, the gospel advances when we view it like this. It stays silent and stagnates when we view it like this. So they, as we, have to, had to get over themselves to see that there's really nothing to lose with the gospel. And for that, let's take a look at this passage that Paul is going to talk to them about how he shared the gospel with the church in Thessalonica and how they are to continue to spread the gospel through their lives. If you have your Bibles, open there with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll just read it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8 says this. Paul reminds them, Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. We speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness on that one. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether for you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So... Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so dear to us. Now think about this. There's three things that Paul is going to just remind us of that we believe about the gospel. And what Christians believe about the gospel are three things. Number one, it's the greatest gift. And the greatest gift ever given from God and the greatest gift received in our lives is the work of Jesus for us. We can be restored back to God, not by our own work, but by the completed work of Christ. And the greatest gift that we've ever received should be shared with others. It's a gift not to just dead end in us. Like, we're not consumers of the gospel. We're not consumers where we see it, and we like it, and we order it, and we get it, and we keep it to ourselves, just like we do and possess other things in our lives. No, the gospel is meant to consume us. It's meant to consume us with the grace of God, the love of God, far beyond anything we could muster for ourselves or for others. It's, it's meant to consume us with the truth and with the righteousness of God far more than we could ever discover on our own and being consumed by it then it just kind of overflows from our lives to others we can't contain it if we really understand its power and we understand its purpose in our lives and so these aren't in your notes but let me give you four words that describe the gospel the gospel first of all is redemption 
Redemption means the purchasing out of death and into life because of what Jesus has done for us. The, the redemption is the, the purchasing out of sin into salvation and freedom in Christ. All of this is done by Christ purchasing us out, not us performing to a level of satisfaction or of, of perfection. And secondly, another word to describe it is reconciliation. This is a relational word. And it means coming, becoming at peace with God through Jesus. And Jesus lived for us a perfect life we couldn't live. He died on a cross to finally pay a debt for us. And he rose again the third day. Christians believe that this work of Jesus has brought us back. We were once enemies and, and uh, strangers. And now we've been brought into the family. We're children of God because of the gospel. Another word that describes the gospel is restoration. God has restored us. He's restored us back to a right relationship, but he's also restoring us in how to love and how to forgive and how to navigate through things we don't understand, how how to be people of truth, how to be people who are sacrificial in our lives. The gospel is restoring us, but there's also the ramifications of the gospel. In other words, the gospel's offered to whosoever will. But it's offered through the person and the work of Jesus alone. And the gospel ramifications is, as we read the scriptures and we're honest as we look at them, that it's life and death. It's eternity in one of two places. It's eternal uh, acceptance into a family or it's the wrath of God on your life forever. And these are not things that we just go yippee about. These are things that we deal with a righteous humility and respect to the word of God. So we share that. The greatest gift should be given and shared with others. Secondly, we believe everyone has the right to the gospel. Everyone has the right to the gospel. If we don't have the gospel in our lives, we're going to be tempted to think, I need to surround myself with people who think like me, do life like me and with me, and tolerate me. And so we find people that look like us, and we stick with those people. And we run or critique, or are snobs of people who agree differently than us. But the gospel says, no, that you go to everyone. The gospel is, for God so loved the world, not just people who look like you. So the gospel takes us out of our own shells, and even our own social constructs that we build for ourselves, and it shows us how to love people who don't look like us, act like us, vote like us, and, and even believe like us. God demonstrated his love for us, Romans 5 says, in this that while we were still sinners, before we, before we became Christians, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't withhold his love for us until we performed to a level that deserved it. No, none of us can do that. So we believe just like Christ came into this world, we are to go into our world, to the end of the earth, and share the gospel with everyone because everyone has the right to hear it not all will believe it not all will accept it many will reject it but everyone has the right if we believe this everyone has the right to hear it and then finally everything can be a platform for the gospel everything your worst moment and your best moment can be used to advance the gospel paul literally was running from for his life at, from persecution when he came to Thessalonica, that city. And as he ran from persecution, what did he do? He preached the gospel and people believed. 
And so earlier in chapter 1, he says, I originally came to you because I was running for my life. But, but I preached the gospel wherever I went. Do you know I'm preaching before you because I, I am Joe and I didn't make it in accounting, okay? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't make the grade in accounting. And I remember that was my senior year at the University of Wisconsin. And I was already at five, in fifth grade, I had a dream that I would be a CPA. I mean, how many kids have a dream of being a CPA in the fifth grade? But that's what I want to do. I think we, we had a friend of our family who, who was so successful and they lived down the road and I wanted to be like him. And he hopped on a plane in the morning and come back in the, in the evening. I thought, that's how I want to, I want to be a CPA. <laughs> and then I didn't make the grade and I was just, oh man, I just remember that. What am I going to do? I went into depression. I was thinking, what? God, what are you going to do with me? What were you thinking? And I don't know that I have any per- I am here because of that event. I'm here. I wouldn't be here if I would have just made it with accounting. So everything that happens to us, we may not be able to know, and I didn't know it the day that had it happened. That was just a bad day, and we're going to have those. But everything can be a platform for the gospel. Your greatest moment of success, as long as it doesn't end in you, can be all about Jesus. It can be about glorification, making Jesus greater in your life. And so as we look at this, how? How do we allow the gospel to thrive in us? Well, let's look at this passage again and just take out, ask some questions. How was the gospel thriving in the Apostle Paul in the church in Thessalonica? Let's take a look at it. Number one, the, the one thing is, is it moved, it thrived with boldness and clarity. No one compromised the gospel. No one made it, made it, you know, softer so people weren't offended by it. The gospel by its very nature is offensive. It messes with me every day and the life I want to live for myself versus the life Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to give me. And so it needs to be with boldness and clarity. If you have your Bible still open, just turn the page to, unless you have one of those huge Bibles that the whole book of First Thessalonians is in, go to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul says this, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. In other words, when they first received them in Thessalonica, and how you turned, look at that, how you turned from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's just talk about that. He said, we know about how you guys had a major conversion experience where you turned from idols, dead things, dead things that you constructed with your own hands to serve the living and true God named Jesus. And and he is our deliverer, right? So you have a boldness to it, a turning, turning from sin to the Savior. But you also have who is Jesus. He delivered us from the wrath to come. They realized that everything they needed in a relationship with God, redemption, reconciliation, restoration, was all through Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Boldness and clarity. Don't compromise the gospel. And the gospel was always moved because people endured all these internal and external resistances to the gospel 
so that they could live it with nothing to lose. Secondly, we're called to thrive with gentleness and respect. Look at how Paul just addresses it. He says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I don't know if you've ever held a baby before, but I remember holding each of my three sons. And then I remember holding different babies as different people have come up to me. And one of the things every mother's concerned about is watch the neck, right? Why? Because if you haven't held a baby, you just drift it up in the head. It goes like this. (laughs) Oh, okay. You know, and so you've got that baby. You're gentle with that baby. You don't go, hey, hope you're a CPA someday. You don't do that with a baby. That's rude and unkind and harsh, right? We're gentle. We've got a lot of grace with babies. They can say things and do things that we don't do. They can get us up in the middle of the night and we still love them because that's the mo- you're motivated by love with a, as a mother nursing a baby. And here we're supposed to treat people like this. We're supposed to treat people with gentleness and respect in a culture that is extremely fractured between different political parties and different faith perspectives. And yet we're to treat people with gent- Yes, absolutely. Treat people as a priceless creation of God with dignity and worth and significance. Treat people who don't believe with you like you do, not in their face, but doing life with them. Not above them, but together navigating through life. If you view yourself as a Christian as superior and better than others, it will show. By the way, it's already showing in the people you share faith, you share your faith with and share the gospel with. So we're called to do this with gentleness and respect. And then finally, we're called to authentic relationships. We don't treat the gospel like a structured marketing plan, okay? Where, hey, something's really excited has happened in my life. And if you sign up today, there's a lot of incentive right now. Heavenly messengers are standing by right now. Act now. Do this. I mean, if you present it, Paul said, we didn't treat it like a sales pitch. We, look at what he says. He says, we were affectionately desirous of you. Those are really biblical words for we loved you. We loved you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. In other words, their own lives, because you had become very dear to us. They saw them as people. People whom God loved. People who didn't have to measure up to believe or act or speak like you, but because they just loved them. And it was a joy to give their lives, their authentic lives together with them. That's so important for us to be ourselves, even your brokenness, even the things you can't understand about God and things that you can't understand about what you're going through right now. It's okay for you to answer someone who goes, how could you trust Jesus when you're going through this time? You can go, I don't know, but I am. I am, and I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go of his hand. And so next steps with this message are a few points I just want to challenge you with. First of all, you may have heard our, uh, this phrase over and over if you've been a part of fellowship of just you and two. 
And that we believe that God has placed two people in your life who are far from him, who need the gospel and need a relationship with him that he's already placed in your life. They live around you. They work around you. They're in your family. They're, they're in your friend group. But two people, they're connected to God at all. Would you, would you pray for those two people? When we built our first building on this property, we wanted to create a, a space where two of our friends could grow in their relationship with God through Christ. And so that was the whole vision for our first building expansion. So we, when we poured the foundation for that building, we just wrote the first names of our you and two on the wet cement of that foundation. And then when we did the same in this building, we did the same. Twice we did that because this building took a long time to build. But we still bring this out, that there's two people that we don't have to go on the street corner. We don't have to go knocking door to door. There are two people that are always in, already in our lives. So what we've given you to do is there's two post-it notes on your worship program. Take those out. I know you're wondering, oh, that's what they're for. Take them off of the back of the person in front of you right now. Go do that, okay? All right. And on the other side where you had, now the other side where you first put kick me? No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, on the other side, just write the first name. Don't write the, the last name, but write the first name of a friend, a relative who's apart from a relationship with Christ that you would be willing to pray for. Just write that, write that down, write their names. I'll give you time to do that right now. If you don't have a pen, look for someone who does and ask, can I borrow your pen? And do this. I'll give you a moment to do this. Think about two people already in your life that God has placed that you would be open just to start praying. And if you'll start praying, I'll tell you how God's going to build on that. Okay. So let's talk about how to take this and move towards this. And begin with prayer. We believe as followers of Jesus that prayer is not our last resort. It's our first response. It's not the least we can do. It's the most we can do. So if anything, the gospel only goes, it, the gospel always begins at the throne of God with people praying. And so I want to encourage you, just take some moment. Here's how a prayer could go. God, I don't know how you want to use me but I've got two people here. However you want to use me to make Jesus greater in their lives, use me. I am willing. I don't know what that's going to look. Frankly, I'm a little bit afraid, but I see your vision here, and I'm willing to view this as nothing to lose. It's the greatest gift I have. I want to give that to people I care about. However you're going to do that, just use me. Lord, move in their hearts in some way for the gospel to come out of my mouth to their lives. Begin with prayer. Second, listen. Listen. And, and by listen, I'm, I'm talking about listen to understand. Because our temptation right now is that we're always broadcasting. We're always speaking. We're always posting. We're always texting. And that's all outward. Things are just, we're always broadcasting people. And and the problem is, is we're really not listening to the people around us. And I've seen your Facebook posts, and I've seen a lot of broadcasting, 
And sometimes when we share beliefs on Facebook, but we aren't listening. We're just saying, this is how it is, in your face, you know? And maybe a better way would be to listen to understand. If we really care for these people, they probably already have a perspective of, is there a God or not? But you want to understand, right? You want this to be an opportunity for a relationship to grow, an authentic relationship to grow. So if nothing happens more, you at least have a better understanding, and they have a better understanding of the gospel, which God will use in their lives. Listen, listen. Listen not to come back with a rebuttal, not to defend yourself. And I'm just saying this. My marriage grows because I grow in listening because, frankly, on my own, without Jesus, I'm the talker, and I'm the defender, and I'm thinking about how I can come back and represent my point or defend myself, and that, will, that never grows in marriage. Listen to understand someone. And then this other one, it might not be intuitive to you, but eat. Eat together. And there's something about our love language that when we bring food into it, relationships grow. And I've got a, I'll share a story with you on this, but I've read a book recently, and it, it call, it's, it's entitled The Simplest Way to Change the World, and it's all on biblical hospitality, written by uh, two guys, Dustin Willis and Brandon Clements. And this is their whole vision throughout the whole book. Our homes become micro-previews of heaven, where we put God's warmth and joy and presence on display. I love that. See, the American culture worships the home. How many, how many um, television or just viral episodes of, uh, of this, this home or selling your home or upgrading your home or refurbishing your home or finding the perfect home are there? We find our hopes, if we're not careful, they're just our refuges, a place where we find comfort and making them more and more comfortable. But what if we can reconnect back to our ancient roots of the New Testament and actually view our homes as an extension of the church? What if our home was an opportunity, rather than worshiping, we could worship God with it? See, that's when your home becomes a platform for the gospel, and anything can be used for a platform for the gospel. I'm going to share a story about hospitality. One of the things, though, that Dustin says about hospitality is they go back to its roots of the word hospital in it, that our homes need to be a place where we care for people and help with the healing of people in our homes. Hospitality, the biblical word goes down to that. And then, then we're called to serve, to serve one another. We serve each other who are believers, but we also serve people who are not believers. And we do that with no strings attached. And when you do that, people will know when you're wanting something from them. People will know, you better believe or we're no longer showing up. That's not going to work. We show up and we show a picture of God's goodness and his grace and his mercy by serving. I can't tell you, I could go through hundreds of stories of what God has done over the years through ShareFest, of us serving our community, no strings attached, and how many open doors that have led for relationships, authentic relationships in our city with people who would never walk into this church because we left our church to go and serve, no strings attached. And that last one is share. Share your story wrapped up in the gospel. 
Know what the gospel is. And once you know what the gospel is, then that story of God intersects with your life and just weave that story about the difference Jesus has made in your life and how following Jesus has changed everything about you. No one can argue with your story, but when you wrap it with the gospel, it can be a compelling invitation to this world. So let me tell you how this worked in my family, and then I'll be done. So my dad, in 1946, he was 10 years old, and his father died of liver cancer. And that left his mother with two children as, as a, a widow without any support. And so uh, they were grieving that process, and their community, their Arab community, gathered around them. And there was this lady who lived a few doors down. Her name was Edith Tapper. And Edith Tapper showed up and knocked on the back door of my grandma's house. And it was in kind of this lower class area of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And she had dinner with her. She had a Saturday evening dinner for her. And she said, Marie, I am a widow also. My husband died several years ago. I just heard your husband passed away. I brought dinner for you because I know you're going to need that tonight. And if you want to speak the love language of an Arab mother, you bring food. And that's it. Come right in, immediately right to the kitchen table. They started talking about their shared experiences of the Me Too conversations that were happening. And it got around to faith. And Edith asked my grandmother, hey, Marie, do you go to a church? She goes, absolutely. We go every Christmas and Easter. And, and Edith said, well, on the other days, I'm a Sunday school teacher down at my church. Would you allow me to take your kids to church with me? And my grandma went, yes, but just don't baptize them. <laughs> and if you're Catholic, you know what we're talking about here. And so she went, and it was in that church that my father heard about Jesus, who loved him, and who did everything to restore him back to a relationship with God. That it wasn't in his works or performance. It wasn't in him trying to be good. It was him trusting in what Christ has done. And he believed that. And he put his faith in Christ. And it was in that church that other men came around my dad. And were the father he didn't have. And they, they invited him on their vacations with him. And their fishing experience. And, and different things that those men did with their own sons. It was in that church that my dad was discipled and followed Jesus. It was in that church where my dad met his wife, my mom. And they got married. It's that church that I have the earliest memories of life. And I don't remember what anyone talked to me about. I just remembered food. I remember I had that little windmill cookie. Uh, and, and that's what I got from one of my earliest memories. But I, I had other voices besides my parents speaking into my life. So by the time I was 10 years old, we're sitting at the, at the Thanksgiving table, and there's this old lady at our table. And I'm wondering, who is she? And there I am, and there she is. Are you saying I'm cute or she is? Okay. Are you doing that? Okay. But that's me. And that's Mrs. Tapper. And I got to realize how the gospel came into my family because on one woman's worst nightmare of her husband passing, another woman knocked on the back door and brought in food and an opportunity for the gospel. That's how the gospel came into my family. That's how the gospel makes its way. It's shared. It's shared. 
and it wouldn't move into my family if someone wouldn't have shared it. Now, let me just give you a vision because time went on. This is 1975, and if you just go last year, here's my family now, okay? Everyone in my family knows about Jesus. Every one of my, in my family has responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it happened because one lady shared it. Edith Tapper had no idea that I wouldn't be a CPA and I would be a pastor. Edith had no idea that I'd get to speak to thousands of people on a weekend. But she was just faithful with what was in front of her at the moment. The one or two people God had placed in front of her. And she was faithful with the gospel. Can I just say this? This room alone, reaching you and two, would be part of a major spiritual awakening in Topeka if it could happen. It begins with prayer. It continues through listening. It continues through eating together and forming relationships. It, be- it continues through serving and through sharing the gospel. What could God do? You have no idea. All he asks is the next person. So would you stand with me as I pray for you as you leave this place? And here's what I want you to do with the, the post-it cards. I want you to go out and all along that back wall in the atrium, we've got names around that sign that says hope. Just put it up there so we can start praying for you and, and fill that wall up with post-it notes before you leave this place and we'll begin to pray with you as God works through us. Heavenly Father, thank you for each person in this room. As we leave this place, move our feet to be beautiful feet that bring the good news of the gospel to a world that is in need of Jesus Christ, that he may be greater on earth as he is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church.